Call with Dr. Matt, where you get a real doc with straight talk for the whole year. It has been a joy to come back and sit down in the community and start some new conversations. But we want to hear from you. We want to know what's on your mind. What topics would you like for us to tackle? What conversations would you like for us to sit down and have so that you can start connecting your own health dots? You can reach us at Gmail. That's realdoc74 at gmail.com. R-E-A-L-D-O-C-7-4 at gmail.com. You can reach us on Facebook. It's the House Call with Dr. Matt community page. You can also follow us on Twitter. Our handle is realdoc74. Last week, we sat down with Mrs. Lillian Lester Blake. She so graciously opened up her heart and took us on a journey. The journey that she began when she found out she was diagnosed with atrial fibrillation or AFib. This week, I thought it only appropriate that we go back to our favorite in-house cardiologist, Dr. Newton Andrews. He specializes in nuclear cardiology cardiovascular imaging, and heart failure therapies here in the Washington, D.C. area. Dr. Andrews has a dynamic way of bringing home the physiology of the heart. So he's going to teach us the electricity. He's going to connect that dot. So let's sit down. Let's have some conversations. Let's connect these dots. Let's get some straight talk. Washington, D.C. area with one of our favorite in-house cardiologists, Dr. Newton Andrews. Welcome back, Dr. Andrews. Thank you. Thank you. Last time we were here, we started down a journey with a conversation on a very broad topic, which was heart disease. And so we said we were going to come back and sit down and start going through and deciphering some specific entities and how more poignant it would be or appropriate to sit down and talk to you after we had talked with Miss Lillian Lester Blake about AFib. It's last week it was, you know, hashtag go red, hashtag wear red day for women and heart disease awareness. And so we're going to sit down and talk to you about one specific entity, that of atrial fibrillation or AFib. Now, in talking with Mrs. Lester Blake, we dis- we started down a road talking about the electricity of the heart, the heart as a pump, the heart as kind of the plumbing. I would like for you in your own unique way to tell us a little bit of the physiology about atrial fibrillation if you can. Okay. So atrial fibrillation um, 
refers to, by definition, the atria of the heart, which are the two top chambers of the heart. Um, fibrillation, meaning that you don't have a consistent concentric squeezing of the atria. The top part of the heart normally collects blood from either the lungs or the body, okay. squeezes, and sends the last bit of blood down to the ventricle so it can be sent either to the lungs or to the body mm -hmm. to um, oxygenate the tissue. Atrial fibrillation, you've lost that squeeze phenomenon, okay. whereby the top part of the heart is actually having multiple impulses generated from a lot of different places. Okay. Basic, um, basic physiology of the tissue of the heart is that each cell or each fiber, muscle fiber of the mm -hmm. cell has a capability of producing an impulse. Mm -hmm. Normally there is some organization that goes along with it whereby the sinus node, which is in the top part of the right atrium, sends out a wavelet of electricity that everybody else follows. Okay. So it's called the um, sinus node or the, the, the heartbeat center, per se. Okay. There are times when that node does not send it out regularly enough. Mm. There are times when other areas become irritable and send out their own competing pace mm. to that node as well as sometimes that node just doesn't work at all and everyone just decides they want to fire. Okay. That's what we call atrial fibrillation, when you have multiple areas just all giving out, I want to beat, I want to beat, I want to beat, I want to beat. So you lose that one beat that spreads and makes the whole atrium contract consistently to everyone trying to beat and, and fire at the same time. Mm. When that happens, the top of the heart just sort of shimmies and just sort of shivers because you have everyone trying to beat at the same time and there's no beat. Okay. Um, what it looks like. Okay. We have, I love we, our models here. We have here. a model here. And what we have in this top part, this is the atrium, you see these ridges that are there. Yes. These are just muscle fibers. Okay. okay. You have all the, a bunch of different muscle fibers in there. The top part has a little bit more than the bottom part. Mm -hmm. But the problem with that is when you get the shimmering of the of the atrium without a concentric beat, the blood pools in those areas, in those little crevices. Mm. And what happens to blood that pools? It, it turns clots. into clots and mm -hmm. turns a little jello. As yeah. you can see when you, for those of you that still eat meat, when you clean your chicken, <laughs> yeah, what have you, you pull out these little clots that are there. Uh -huh. um, that's blood that has settled in an area and it sort of automatically clots. Okay. So whereby the problem of atrial fibrillation comes in because once those clots break off and go out into the circulation, they get lodged in vessels, mm. brain, spleen, intestines, fingers, toes, and that's okay. where you have the problems of atrial fibrillation. Okay. Strokes, yes. ischemia in limbs, mm -hmm. organs that sort of get damaged, all of those things come from that pathological process. Okay, okay. okay. Um, there are areas within the heart that, like the pulmonary veins, which are the areas that come from the lungs that drain blood back into the heart, that we've noticed that in those areas, there's a higher chance of having these abnormal wavelets come from. Okay. So these are the focuses of the EP specialist, or the mm -hmm. electrophysiological specialist, to go after and sort of 
draw a line around those areas and say, hey, can we get rid of this person's atrial fibrillation just because we think that's the area that's causing it? I see, I see. That is not the only place it could come from, though. Okay. That's just, they would actually do a mapping Mm -hmm, while they're mm -hmm. in there and sort of figure out where is this initial abnormal um, impulse coming from. If it's in that area, then they have a, a designated area in which they sort of burn a line around or draw a line in the sand, per se, to say that that area is still beating abnormally, but it can't affect the rest of the tissue. Got it, got it. Because all electricity sort of goes from cell to cell to cell to cell. Mm -hmm. And if you could prevent that from happening, then you could sort of stave off. So if they could create like a roadblock. Roadblock. And say, you you can't jump over this. Correct, correct. Got it. Sometimes you could break through on the edges or stuff Mm -hmm. like that. But generally speaking, you know, if that's where it's coming from, they could sort of treat it in that regard. Okay. There are other procedures called maze procedures where they actually draw lines throughout the atrium. Usually a cardiac surgeon has done that after they've had surgery for bypass or what have you. Oh. They thought that might be helpful. It is helpful for some people. Okay. Um, other times you may just be relegated to medication uh, to control uh-huh. the heart rate. Okay, okay. Sometimes we have medication that could actually convert people yes, into yes. a normal rhythm. Yes, and that's what Mrs. Um, Lester Blake was saying that they thought they were going to be able to treat her AFib on medication, and she actually got cardioverted, mm-hmm. and we'll talk about that, mm-hmm. twice. Okay. And it was after the second cardioversion and medication that her cardiologist said, you need to go see an EP specialist. Okay. So, so let's, let's back up a little bit yeah. on we went over what atrial fibrillation is. Yes. Okay. So we know that it's these abnormal wavelets that sort of come in the top part of the heart. Causes of it. Yes. There are some causes that okay. we have identified. Thyroid disease, hmm. people who have had hyperthyroidism. Okay. Because it's a combination of either membrane instability or stretch. Okay. okay. So anything that causes stretch, uh, leaky valves, uh-huh. whereby... Uh-huh. Once the blood comes through that valve, it's supposed to shut and prevent the blood from going back from where it came from. Mitral or tricuspid valve are the ones in particular. If that blood continues to come back up, the atria stretch. Mm -hmm. Stretching of the top part of the heart is equivalent to like stretching a room. As you sort of take it and just stretch it bigger and bigger and bigger, there's electrical wires in the wall. You stretch it big enough, those start to have shorts. You get flickering of the lights. Okay. Nice. So that's what happens when you get the stretch part. Okay. Stenotic valves, mitral valve, or the tricuspid valve, if they don't let the blood through, too much blood is in the top part, you get stretch. Okay. okay. Valve leaks too much, you get too much pressure and blood transmitted back up to where it's supposed to be, uh-huh. the top part stretches. You have um, hypertension. Long-standing yes. hypertension. The, the walls in the bottom part of the heart get thick and don't beat properly. Okay. So once they get thick and they contain more blood and more pressure, that pressure gets transmitted upward, the atria stretch. Okay. You have infiltrative diseases, amyloid, mm. sarcoid, usually seen in the elderly. That's why the, the, uh, the probability of getting atrial fibrillation increase as people get older. Okay. Because of some of these other issues, secondary things that happen, that atrial fibrillation is a 
response to certain things, as those get worse, then they present themselves later on. So it's a symptom of something else. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So um, those are the one of the main things, and you have some electrical stuff where Mm -hmm. genetically you can't your your (laughs) your channels that cause your heart to contract appropriately, calcium channels, Mm, they don't close properly, and so you get instability in the atria, Hmm. and then you get this abnormal. Okay, okay. There are some triggers. Alcohol. Huh. Yes. Really? Usually something that we see in younger individuals. I, I don't know if you've ever heard the term of a holiday heart. No. A holiday heart is something that we've seen usually in younger, you know, 20s, 30s, 40-year-old people, really? um, whereby they've been drinking alcohol and then have stopped. The alcohol has been toxic to the myocardium itself, and then they go into atrial fibrillation. Really? They usually come out of it. It's not a big deal. There's something that you know can happen. So this is not just an old people's no, problem? No, no. It can happen with younger people also. Okay. Usually heralded, as we talked about in her case, from fatigue, mm-hmm. palpitations. Yes. Um, people feel fluttering in their chest. Yes. Um, that's another symptom that people have. Um, those are the main three that people present with, or strokes. You may not Just have ever felt it. Your first presentation is you had a stroke. Wow. Put an EKG on them, hey, they're in atrial fibrillation. Or mm-hmm. they could be in sinus rhythm, which is a normal rhythm at the time, but as you do further testing to say, hey, we can't figure out a reason why they had this stroke. Uh-huh. They don't have marked hypertension. Okay. Um, the way that it was showing on the CT scan or the MRI scan of the brain showed multiple areas. So it gives you the, the thought that these that the brain has been showered mm-hmm. by mm-hmm. something, mm-hmm. And, which means an embolism that came yeah. from somewhere. Yeah. Is it in the carotid? Uh, Is it in the aortic arch? Okay. Or did okay. it come from the heart? Okay. So that's part of the workup when people present with their first stroke. Is they have an abnormal rhythm that led to this? Or... Is this truly just hypertension Mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. blocked vessels in the brain or something like that? So say, you know, you're you're in your everyday life and you feel this flutter Mm -hmm. and it goes away. Mm -hmm. How alarming should that be to you the first time? How long is the fluttering? Oh. That is a, that is a thought. We okay. all have we all have extra beats. Okay, okay. the top part or the bottom part of our heart. Okay. Usually, what we feel is a second beat after that because usually there's a resetting. Once you get hmm. the extra beat, the heart is electrically unprepared to have that second beat. Huh. So it waits. It resets itself electrically. Now starts to beat yeah, again. Yeah, yeah. But in that time where you have that pause the heart is still filling up with blood. Exactly. So that next beat, the heart is now stretched bigger than what it normally is, and so you get this push, mm. and you feel that, ooh, I felt that. My heart just jumped. Yes. I felt a lurching or something like that. That's that second beat after the abnormal beat. Okay. okay. So when I say how often or how long it goes for, you sort of would want something that, to alarm you that is that, would be more of a fluttering over minutes mm. so um, maybe if it's longer than 20 minutes of course you can let oh, somebody yeah. know but um, some people get it they, I feel a fluttering that lasts for about two to three minutes just irregular and it, sound, and it sounds a little something like this 
Well, maybe. Like this. You see the irregularity yes, in yes, the heartbeat? Yes. Some people's heart rates, they may feel a palpitation where the heart rate just goes fast and irregular. That's not as much as concerning as when it gives you this irregularity and no consistent cadence to it. So that irregularity, I'll tell you where that comes from. Yes. Because the normal heartbeat is about 60 to 100, the normal um, AV node could beat up to about 100 and 110 or so consistently. When you get all of these different wavelets, mm -hmm. the top part of your heart is beating close to about a 300 beats per minute. So you have all of these things coming, bombarding the middle, the AV node. Because what normally happens, you get that sinus node beat, it spreads throughout both atria, it collects in the middle at the AV node, and then gets sent down to the ventricles so that can actually beat consistently. So you get a, a controlled beating at the top and a controlled beating at the bottom. Mm -hmm. If the top part is sending 300, 400, the AV node is saying, yeah, I can't really accommodate that many. That's too many. So I'm going to do what I can. I'm going to take them as fast as I can take them, and then I'll send them down, and I'll hmm. send them down, and I'll send them down. But they're coming at all at different times, so you get this irregularity in the actual heartbeat because it's getting one now, getting one a second later, pause a little bit, getting another one, which translates to this irregular heartbeat because that's the bottom part trying to keep up with the top part. Wow. Okay? So the irregularity of it is what actually lets you know, hey, he's fast. This is not due to hidden having a GI bleed and losing blood and his heart rate is now trying to pick up and beat faster and because increase the our cardiac volume out. is lower. Mm -hmm. right? This is secondary to it just being bombarded by so many things. Okay? Wow. So, and that's the case when you start feeling that fluttering in your chest, when you feel that the length and the cadence are what are important to say, hey, I think I need to go see somebody. I, my heartbeat is fast. I don't have a fever. It's just not beating fast because I have a fever. Right. Or because I'm anemic mm -hmm. or because of something else like that. It's beating fast and irregular. This is something that I need to warn somebody about. Talk to my doctor. Let somebody do an EKG and figure out what's going on. Because what you don't want is for it to continue and then mm -hmm. you have that stroke. Or you have what we call tachycardia-mediated cardiomyopathy. Mm. Whereby it goes fast for so long that it burns itself out. And now you have a weak heart. Yes. For too long of it hanging around. And so the muscle is just, it can't accommodate it's just anymore. Fatigued. Uh, right. Exactly. Oh, so it wow. gets weak. So you don't want it to get to those points. Yes, yes. Um, so that's, that's the general cause or, or etiology of some of the atrial fibrillation of why it causes such a problem. Um, treatment now, we start trying to figure out based on cause. Mm, okay. Thyroid disease, okay. you want to correct the thyroid disease. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Alcohol use, you want to limit alcohol use. Caffeine okay. for some people. Yes. Which could also trigger some sympathetic system discharge. Um, could cause atrial fibrillation for some people. So okay. So you just need to get off of that. Um, some of the other illness, you know, amyloids, sarcoids, mm -hmm. you get treatment for those okay. things. And that's usually you can sort of gain some control over it. The bigger problem we have is knowing when somebody doesn't go into it. 
We yes. think that they're out of it, but we don't know if they're truly out of it. Right. Because they could go in and out. There's a, such a, a term called paroxysmal atrial fibrillation where sometimes they go in it, sometimes they have a regular heartbeat. Sometimes they go in it, sometimes they have a regular heartbeat. We've been trying to figure out how long somebody needs to be in it before they are at risk of developing the bad signs of it, meaning stroke, okay. um, organ damage, or what have you. Okay. When I was training, there used to be about 48 hours. Hmm. I said if you could de deduce that this person could feel their palpitations for 48 hours or less, they do not need medication for anticoagulation. Furthermore, we could try to cardiovert them back into a regular rhythm because it was short-lived. Okay. Of course, that's all predicated on whether or not you could actually identify when that person went in. Some people could feel it. Some people can't. Uh -huh. I had one guy who came in as a patient. He was going at about 130. Heart rate just going. I said, do you feel any of this? He said, no, I feel just fine. I go do my walks. I do whatever I need to do, and I feel just fine. And he's talking to you just... Talking to me just as if we're talking right now. He feels just... And he's 67, 68. So he's not 20. Right. Um, then you have other people who... The least bit that their heart goes into a regular rhythm, I can feel that. And I feel fatigued. I feel tired. Yes. So sometimes it's a reliable. Sometimes okay. it's not reliable. Oh, okay. So when you see somebody for the mm. first time who has it and you ask them, do you feel this or do you not feel this, that 48 hours may or may not be <laughs> They may not be right, valid no. or <laughs> can't be reliable right. at all, right. at all. Right. So, um... Now we've had more data that suggests that if someone's in it even as as long as six hours, they have the propensity to develop some of these clots oh. and have problems from okay. it. Why that's important? Because in the treatment process, you don't want to cardiovert them. You don't yeah. want to get them out yeah. of the rhythm right away because mm -hmm. the clots that are there, once the heart starts beating, normally could come out, as well as once you have the cardioversion, on the surface, the EKG looks normal, but there's a process called atrial stunning, whereby you've converted them, you flicked off the breaker box, mm -hmm. and now the lights are back on, but everything is still stunned. So even electrically, it's going down to normal. It's not properly. Oh. So we realize that also. Okay. So okay. in that case, if you can identify that somebody has atrial, atrial fibrillation and want to cardiovert them, if they could reliably say, I only had this then, you may do a, a transesophageal echocardiogram. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Actually look for that area and say, are there right. any clots there? Or okay. if it's just a small amount of time, you may assume it's been less than that time this person's reliable. You could think that they don't have the clot there. Okay. okay. Nonetheless, afterward, they're going to be on anticoagulation for at least three to four weeks. Okay. Okay? Mm -hmm. Just because of that stunning phenomenon. Even if you think... They okay. just went into it an hour ago. Mm. There's going to be a stunning okay. process afterward, even though they're in normal. Do you all know how long that stunning process usually lasts? It's, it's, a, it's about two weeks or so. Oh, two or three wow. weeks. So that's why you sort of just wait and say, hey, let me cover you for a length of time. Okay. On the back end and say, just take this medication for a month. After Got it. that, we can take you off of it. Okay. Provided that they're still in sinus rhythm. Okay. Now, we've talked about some of the causes. 
One thing that Mrs. Uh, Lester Blake came uh, brought up was that before she had her ablation done, her EP specialist wanted her to go and get evaluated for sleep apnea. And she said that that was a new um, request for her and a new, a new piece of information to her puzzle that she was not informed and educated that sleep apnea mm -hmm. could actually really impact her heart. And he was not willing to even do this, the ablation unless she went and got evaluated. And if she had it, got treatment. So can you help us understand how sleep apnea could play into this? Okay, so the relationship between sleep apnea and atrial fibrillation or atrial arrhythmias in general mm. come from points of not getting enough oxygen. Okay. Okay, sleep apnea. You have central, you have peripheral. Mm. Some is due to the oral cavity and tissue that's actually a occluding the air from coming in. Yeah. Some is due to a brain abnormality and where the heart, the way the breathing centers just don't operate like they're supposed to. Right. Um, normally what happens with sleep apnea is the oxygen level decreases, your body tries to compensate for that. How does it do so? It's like a garden hose. You stick your finger over a garden hose, the water shoots further. Okay? Yes. If you don't get enough oxygen, the body is saying, hey, I'm sending men into the lungs to get oxygen. I'm only coming out with buckets that are half full. It used to be full. Now it's only half full. I still need to get oxygen to where it needs to go, and they need full buckets. Let's send twice as many men in there so we can maintain the same amount of oxygen, but they're still coming out half full because the oxygen level has fallen because you're not getting it in. Okay? Right, right. So the, the pulmonary artery, which sends blood to the lungs, actually starts to squish down. Yeah. As if putting a finger over a hose. Uh -huh. The blood speeds up, you send more in there, more comes out. So it's sort of a compensatory mechanism, not meant to be there all the time. Right, right. Only compensatory mechanism to get them over the hump. Okay. So what happens to the garden hose when you put your finger over it? Completely over it? Oh, no. Just, oh, just, just partially. Just partially? The hose gets tight. Tighter. So you get a blockage. So you get, get back, back up. pressure. Back, back pressure. pressure. That pressure gets translated to the right ventricle, which now goes to the right atrium, which gives you a stretch. Stretch. The stretch mechanism. Stretch mechanism. That's one of the ways it can happen. There are some irritability that happens because of the oxygen also, and we have actually found that people who get treated for sleep apnea can take away all of their arrhythmias without medication. Really? Yes. Yes. Okay, so this is a very important point it is. It is. because there are some people that don't want to admit that they, in the common vernacular, snore, right. or sometimes you have to even look at your mate and see if they stop breathing at Correct. night. Correct. Gasping for air, daytime fatigue, if that's unexplained, my thyroid's fine, I exercise normally, but... It's not after a meal. I just feel tired during the day. You don't get enough good sleep at night. Yes. You may be sleeping, but sleep apnea prevents you from getting into the deeper rims of sleep. Okay. And so you don't have the restorative sleep that you need to be able to take you through the next day. That's important. So, so there's something as simple as getting evaluated for sleep apnea could actually prevent you from having cardiac correct, issues. Correct. 
Exactly. Wow. This is this is great. This is great. Dr. Newton, I am having a wonderful time with you here in the House Call community. One other thing I wanted to touch on was, I don't know if it's just me becoming more mature. <laughs> I feel like I'm hearing the diagnosis of sleep apnea in my community more. Is it a process that happens as that for the older population? You know, you kind of touched on that. You talked about the heart, holiday heart. Mm -hmm. Is it more as you just get older? Well, sleep apnea also as you get older, but okay. atrial fibrillation, the general, about a third of the cases we see are older. Okay. Um, and that's over 80. Over 80? Over 80. 80 years old. 80 years old. So if you're having atrial fibrillation and these electrical abnormalities in your 60s, not too common, not just one of those, oh, you're getting old, pat on the back. Right, right, right. You do you do see it in some of those ages also, and I think sometimes we're screening for them a little bit better. Oh, okay, okay. okay. You have a lot of new devices out now that people could wear to actually find them. Mm -hmm. So the mm -hmm. awareness is a little bit more. We used to have... Um, we used to have people send people home with monitors. Yes. They have palpitations. Yes. They'll wear a Holter monitor, which is for a day. Right. There's something we call an event monitor, which you can wear up to uh, about 30 yes. days. Yes. If you have symptoms that you can reliably say, hey, this happens maybe every couple weeks or so. Okay. There's something we call an MCOT, which is a mobile cardiac telemetry, whereby you oh. wear it for the same 30 days, but it takes every beat that you have, and uh. it just looks at it overall and says, hey, do they go into something that they do not feel? Because the event okay. monitor is predicated on you feeling something. And you and actually you clicking. activating it. Mm -hmm. Correct. Mm -hmm. So if the, these people don't have it, again, had a TIA. So I had an episode, my mouth, my, my lips slurred, my speech got slurred, and my had some facial droop, just went away really quick. I went to the hospital, had this dizziness and blurred vision that I can't figure out what happened. You get the monitor, you may pick up some of this stuff. Okay. Then you have those people who have a stroke that we can't figure out why they have one. And we actually put a device in. It used to be the size of a, a USB. Ah. Um, it is now transitioned to the size probably of if you have a ballpoint pen, you have that clip on the front that you actually yes. one of these. Yes. About the size of that that you could just slip under the skin, and you could wear that for up to three years. Wow. And we've picked up people who have had bouts of atrial fibrillation. These devices get monitored like a pacemaker. They have a okay. home device that can mm -hmm. actually say, hey, if it picks up something, it'll send it to the doctor. They could come in and get it interrogated every three months. And when you're done, you just take it out, throw it away. Wow. So this is moving into the next, next transition, moving into technology and how we're starting to use digital health mm -hmm. and how it's going to evolve. They actually have some apps. I was going to ask. Phone on which you could actually put people's fingers or put it up to their chest and actually get a their heart beat. Wow. The EKG heartbeat. And oh. you could actually take a look at it. I was at a conference two weeks ago, and there was a physician there who was on a plane that someone was complaining of palpitations, had the app, put it on them, diagnosed atrial fibrillation. Didn't have to stop the flight at this point because you know what it is. Because when wow. someone's having a palpitation, you don't know if it's ventricular tachycardia, mm. and they're about to pass out, and they need cardiac, right. and that's cardiac arrest, mm -hmm. or whether or not it's atrial fibrillation, something that's less benign. I mean, that's a little bit more benign, mm -hmm. but you get, you're afforded the time to treat it. Okay. Okay. 
So normally if someone has stuff like that with a fast beat, you want to stop the plane, land it at the next airport, wherever you need to do this person needs to go right. to the hospital. Right. In this case, with digital advances, he was able to say, hey, no, this is atrial fibrillation. Let's give her some oxygen. Let's keep her calm. We can wait till we get to our destination, and she can go to the hospital there and get some treatment. Wow. Okay. That. Some of the risk factors more screening for those. It does put a burden on the healthcare system a little bit because you're doing a lot of this testing on patients. On Sometimes you don't know whether or not it's that, whether or not they just have anxiety. Yes. You don't know. But yes. when do you want to find out? When they have the stroke and now definitely need healthcare? Yes. Or do something preemptively and say, ah, she has some atrial fibrillation. We could treat this as an outpatient. You don't need to go to the hospital. We'll mm-hmm. get you on mm-hmm. things, change some things around, and maybe you could get out of it and then get off medication. But wow. um, initially, um, just trying to diagnose it has come a long way also. This has been a very enlightening conversation. Again, I thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule here in the D.C. area to sit down with our community and just, again, connect another dot so that somebody can step back and start saying, hmm, that sounds a little bit like maybe I should follow it up and investigate even more, even more. So here we go, guys, again at the House Call Community with Dr. Andrews here in the Washington, D.C. area. We'd like to hear from you. You can reach us on our Gmail account. That's realdoc74 at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter. The handle is at realdoc74. Or we're on the Facebook. We're on Facebook. It is the House Call Community page with Dr. Mack. We'll see you guys next time. 